was in the shops yesterday, and at the moment we're all right for the essentials of Advent. The Advent calendars are still stocked up and the lights are still stocked up. But if you're anything like me, what will happen is you'll peruse these items for a long time and then you'll blink and there'll be none left. This is the week where you'll go to the shops and you should stop perusing at the Advent calendars and put them in your trolley or whatever else you need to do or grab them online. This is what we do at Advent time. We count down to anticipate that Christmas day. Us human beings grab a box with chocolates in, get one with chocolates in, don't be tight, and we count down to Christmas, and then we put our lights up to anticipate Christmas Day. But that's not what we've always done, and that's not what all churches do. Historically, in Christendom, in the church, in the world, and now in other denominations, instead of turning the lights on, people turn the lights off. They turn the lights off until Christmas Eve, and then they turn them all on again to acknowledge the darkness and our need of light. Advent is not just about having light, but about needing to find it. Advent is not just about having light, but it's about knowing that it exists, even though it's really dark. Um, Perhaps the darkest time in recent human history, or Maybe, maybe perhaps all of human history were the last days of, of World War II. Um, some terrible human atrocities happened as victory got nearer and nearer. It feels like, or it looks like, as you observe historically, the wheels came off um, our morality. Millions uh, already lie dead in battle. And the Nazis decided to speed up their program of genocide and not only did they do that, but they were kind of firing indiscriminately some of their bombs headed towards London, just final shots. And the Allies, to make sure the war was finished, did big statement bombs over in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. It was horrifically dark. And yet, historically and analytically, if we assess World War II, we know that when D-Day happened, that was what we termed the beginning of the end. And by the, towards the end of the war, we knew that the war was won. It was won, and yet it was incredibly dark. It was horrible. I watched a film uh, recently, and I'd recommend it. It's in Dutch with pretty well-dubbed uh, English subtitles. It's called The Forgotten Battle. It tells the story of Dutch civilians dealing, in, dealing with this time, this time when... The Nazis looked like they were defeated and they were beaten, and yet the British got stuck, and then the Nazis came rushing back in. And for these people in these times, they were dealing with this awful, torturous reality almost. Knowing that victory was imminent, knowing that it was there, these civilians looked on as the horrors of evil were still all around them. And in these times... In these times, and you can observe this if you get a chance to watch um, The Forgotten Battle on Netflix, I'd encourage you to do so. In these times, you see how hard it is for people to make moral decisions. People trying to live well, to make good decisions, and you see the difficulty of doing that in and amongst this evil. Advent is to see the world you're in and ache for light. 
Advent is living aware that the times you're in. Um, the text that we're going to look at today, um, the preceding little bit of this text, um, so it's, just, it's helpful to have a bit of context. You'll know at the start it says, and do this. What is it talking about? And do this. The little bit of text before is a really lovely bit of text, an important bit of text. It answers a lot of the questions from our last series. We talked a lot about love, if you remember that. It talks of this idea that love fulfills the law. This is the preceding text to this bit of text to make sense of it. There's this idea, remember we were talking about, is, I think Jude framed the question last week, and me and Paul um, tried to answer it. Is love enough? And in this passage we read, in a sense that it is, if it's love in Jesus, the law is fulfilled. Human attempt to be perfect ends up finding its fulfillment in Jesus, in the love of Jesus. This perfect love comes. Love that can change the world. And in this text here, it says, we begin to do this. Notice what it says in verse 11. It's quite a weird, it caused me to turn my head at a jaunty angle because I didn't think this was how you got love. It says, in order to do this, remember this thing that we've wrestled with for months, we need to understand the times which we are living in. That's what this talk is about, really. Understanding the times. Do this, understanding the present time. Now, that's very handy, I think, for us as human beings because it's one of our favorite pastimes is identifying the ages, isn't it? We love to do this. We look back very clever with our, you know, very pleased with ourselves, and we look back and we go, that was the Iron Age. They made stuff off of iron. That was the Dark Age. There were witches and that kind of stuff. And then we were enlightened, and we do this. And we do it increasingly now. The chunks of time have gotten a lot smaller. We, we really enjoy labeling the times, particularly at the moment. There were two, maybe there's two um, categories that you could put us in. We are, enli- we are enlightened. We are post-enlightened. We are more than enlightened. And I'm not mocking our enlightenment. I stand here as the beneficiary of that enlightenment. Really smart people staring hard at textbooks, staring hard at nature, figuring stuff out and making progress. And I stand here as a beneficiary of that. We are enlightened. And we are also, and this is the term of the moment, we are woke. We are woke. Do you know what woke means? Really simply, we are awakened, awakened to injustice. That's how we describe ourselves. And I think in some sense, we really are. We really have been increasingly over these last couple of years. We are in some senses awakened. But I wonder how legitimate these pretty big boasts are as we look up to starry skies, which we know very little about and declare ourselves to be enlightened and awakened. One of the things I would say about our enlightened and awoken state is that we're never able to fully shake off the darkness. Um, The penny dropped a little bit as I was thinking some of this stuff through and I happened to be in Leeds shopping last Saturday. It was just getting dark. I go and it's because I'm super tight. I go and it's dark. And if you go to park in some of the car parks after about four or five o'clock, you almost give it away for free. So I walked in then. Heading in, parked at a place called Trinity. You park at Trinity, you come out, and you see Leeds there lit up in front of you. And it just dawned on me, just for a second, as I started to think about the names of some of these big shopping centers in Leeds. Trinity and the light. Like man-made temples, like glowing. And I 
I'm, I love it, actually. I love the Christmas shopping. I love the bright lights. I get carried away, just people watch, forget really what I'm doing. But as I walked up towards Trinity, if you've ever been in Trinity and parked at Trinity, you are, there is almost a parade, because just a parade of, of poverty and brokenness that sort of surrounds you as you walk up the grand steps towards Trinity. Just at the foot is a place called the Crypt. And the Crypt is a church that does amazing actions of kindness for um, homeless people and people with addiction issues. And as you walk in, the whole way that you walk out of the car park, you see around you brokenness as you enter into the light. We never quite shake it off, do we? In fact, I'd go further and I'd say, the more enlightened we are, the more we shine our cleverness down on the earth, the more awake we become, the more wakened up to stuff we are, the more darkness that we see. The more we shine the magnifying glass down, the bigger the can of worms we see in front of us. You'll be, um, and as I, was, as I was sort of stumbling around for ways to illustrate this, I, I was just falling over myself. There's just hundreds of ways to illustrate this. This week, I guess the big topic I was last week is the issue of racism in cricket. And maybe you're, you're aware of this. And what is, so it, it brings to mind very much what human beings do in this instance. We, we shine the light in on a particular area, shone in really carefully on Yorkshire cricket, I guess, at the moment. And we can say, yes, with certainty, oh man, crikey, this is, this is racism. And somebody puts their hands up in an incredibly brave way and calls it out, calls it out for what it is. And we should like support this. This is great. This is awakening up. But have you noticed what's happened in the week? The more that we shine our light on it. I mean, we love really as human beings, we'd like to kind of keep it focused on a couple of old middle-aged guys in Yorkshire cricket and just say, they're the bad guys. But actually, if we're going to be awoke and wakened up and enlightened, we, we, we shine in on it. And the more we shine our eyes in on it, the uglier it gets. And the more we realize it's not just Yorkshire cricket, it's maybe cricket, it's not just cricket, it's probably sport, it's not just sport, it's probably the country. It's not just... Everybody, and as the tweets have come out this week, it's also even this guy, the whistleblower, who's bravely put his hand up. The more awakened we get towards this, the bigger the can of worms opens up in front of our eyes. And I could pick hundreds of ways to illustrate that. While we say in this text, we're enlightened and awake, the Bible says to us, it's dark and you're dozing. As we look deeper, the question should be, in the times that we live in, not how do we live in love, but how on earth can anyone in this world really live in love? As we look, as we dig around deeper, as we become more enlightened and more awakened, the question is, how, have any of, how can any of us really claim to be in love? As I dug around a little bit, thinking, I guess, a little bit about you know, real relationships, and real closeness and real connection and real care for each other, marriages, friendships, that kind of stuff. Did a little bit of digging around. You make no wonder the world that we live in that this stuff is hard for us to do. Make no wonder that marriages are struggling. I happened upon, and I daren't Google it, because I don't want to set that ball rolling, the pornography stats for our nation are just, the prevalence of porn is just outrageous. How are you going to miss that? I don't know, given if the stats are right. It's incredible. Um, I don't know if you caught any of Adele's interview 
on Oprah this week. I've sort of, I didn't catch it because I'm not all over Oprah, but um, it's, an, it's a very interesting interview and worth checking back up on. Now, everybody likes Adele's music. Most people say, I don't really like to hear her, especially Christians. I like her music, but I don't like to hear her talk. I'm the other way around. I don't really like her music. I switch it off, but I like it when she gets going, having a bit of a ramble. She's all earthy, and I kind of connect with that. I kind of like that. And she was really honest, and I really appreciate, if you listen to the interview, it's worth a listen. She was really honest, and I appreciated her honesty about marriage. She's recently divorced. One of the things that she said, and I think she got jumped on a little bit by Oprah. She said, I still love him, but I'm not in love with him. And sort of Oprah and the media has jumped on this statement and said, this is empowering. This is brilliant. That's how we should be being. And it's not get dragged along with any of this. If it's not working right now, you can drop it. I don't really think that's what Adele was saying. She was being really honest. I think she's got a lot of integrity about how she's talking about her marriage. But the, the, the outcome, the big message, the take home, has been with regard to love. Just do whatever works for you right now. How is anyone, given that this is the flow of the world, supposed to have real, meaningful um, love? The last example I'll give is, and we've got a lot of, we're very blessed at Christ. It's got a lot of kids coming through at the moment. Great stuff. Awesome to fill the church up with, with noise and all that stuff. Go back a few generations. You were parents. You'd have been bringing up your, and I guess I was maybe the tail end of this. You're bringing up children with this, what, a good desire towards purity. You know, trying, this idea of saving yourself. Get towards, you know, marry the one that's for you. That sort of idea. Came with loads of, um, I guess, problems and it wasn't always done perfectly and wasn't managed very well and all that kind of thing but it was an ideal now decide if you've got young parents that way of doing things will be viewed as being just being immoral that's how it will be it'll be irresponsible to behave in that way if you present that as an ideal try and find someone stick with them love them all that kind of stuff that will just be immoral it's flipped so heavily how can anyone love in these times Last story. No more stories after this. Last story. I'm not a fan of Love Island, but <laughs> not a fan of Boyzone. But a few years ago, um, my old man used to be the pastor of a church in Bradford, and he did a tent campaign, managed to spend a load of money getting some fairly famous Christians to come along and, and speak. And they had a tent campaign, and one of the guys out of Boyzone, Shane Lynch, is actually just an awesome brilliant, lovely guy, came along, gave his testimony, great things happened in the church, loads of, the town came along, people were really motivated and really moved, people became Christians and all the rest of it, that was the story, a year down the line, I'm sat, um, put ITV on, Love Island, celebrity comes on, there he is, Shane Lynch, and I'm thinking, oh no, oh it's ruined, do you know what I mean, oh no, how is it, how, so I, we'd heard we knew of his faith and we knew of a relationship that he had and we're watching on the TV saying this all gets undermined now, right? Look at these beautiful women. Look at him. How is this not going to happen? You know, it's amazing. And it's all geared up to happen, isn't it? When you watch Love Island, it's geared up for that moment of intimacy. That's what it's headed towards. That's what it's building towards. The production team want it. The public at home want it. He's gorgeous. She's gorgeous. You're like, how is this ever not going to happen? And yet, I watched there sort of trembling and what happened? What was the end of it? This hunk of an Irishman sleeps on the floor. They've set it all up. They've staged it all so carefully. And yet there's this moment 
which looks weird, just really weird to anybody watching casually. He sleeps on the floor. How did he do this? He sort of acts in what I would describe as a loving way. How does he do this? He understood the times. He understood the times that he was living in. What times are we living in? Look at the text. It's really critical. And it's, and it's in a sense, you can look at the text and you can all, because oh, I'm almost looking for an actual hour to interpret the text. What are the times that we're living in and how does this aid love? See there, verse 11 and 12. Let me read it out. Do this, understanding the present time. What is the time? The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Check this out. The night is nearly over. So what time is it? The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So what time of day is it? It's not nighttime. It's not daytime. It's still dark. But light is coming. Beautifully um, illustrated by somebody's ringtone. Which, that was amazing. Thank you for that. It's imminent. We've actually been working really hard to plan that. It's, it normally goes the other way for me, but in that moment, it really went well. It's imminent. It's nearer now. Do you see what he says there? It's nearer now than it was when we first got saved. I'll tell you exactly the time of day it is. It's that morning moment when you get out of bed and it's pitch. And we're getting lots of these at the moment because the clocks have changed. You get out of bed and it's pitch black. It's dark. It's pitch black and you think, I just want to roll. I don't want, I want to roll over. But you can't roll over. What happens in that moment? You've got to face the day because you recognize what time it is. And you think to yourself, well, later on I might see that guy that I quite fancy. I might see that guy. I really need to get out of bed. I really need to do something with my appearance. I'm going to meet my boss. And I really need to probably, I'm probably going to get a bit nervous. I'm probably good that I put some deodorant on. I'm probably going to have to walk across town. So I'm going to put a big coat on. What do we do knowing what time it is? Even though it's pitch black, even though you want to roll over, shut the curtains and go back to bed, even though it's that we live in light of the daytime, we anticipate the day. This is what Advent is. Because Jesus came, we know that he comes again. Because Jesus came once, we know that he comes again. And though it's dark now, in fact, it's pitch black now, we can live anticipating light. What does Jesus say? Everything's going to become new. This is what he says. This is what he brings. Everything's going to become new. Nothing that's been done is not going to be seen. Nothing that's been said is not going to be heard heard everything's going to become new my kingdom is coming the daytime's coming righteousness justice kindness gentleness self-control that is coming we live now in the darkness but light comes we exist a lot like those world war ii civilians who lived in times when they're looking around thinking i don't know where to turn to do good there is so much darkness. All of my actions are messed up by it. Yet, the, as with D-Day, and the moment those troops got a foothold in France, the second that Jesus 
put footprints on earth, when he shoved back that stone and walked out of that tomb, even though it's dark now, we can be confident of light and live anticipating light. You watch back the clip of Shane Lynch and, you know, all the reports of it, it's just this crazed action, just this weird, odd man messing up what is a great opportunity. And yet, when you look at that through eternal eyes, when you look at that in terms of what time it is, the times that we live in, it becomes the most beautiful, amazing, eternal, loving action that you can possibly imagine. Advent draws our eyes so intently towards the work of Jesus. It starts to shape the way that we're able to live and function, even in dark times. So what should we do these next two weeks? I love the Advent calendar. Don't be tight, as I said at the start. Buy one with chocolate in. Don't mess around with an Advent calendar. Go all in with the lights. But as you do it, especially at this time, know that Advent is not just putting up lights, but recognizing that we desperately need to see it. Know that Advent is understanding the times that we live in well enough that our heart starts to ache to see real light. Know that Advent is focusing on light so much it begins to shape the way that we act.